Let me invite you to turn with me and your copy of God's Word to our scripture reading this morning. You can find it on page 812 if you're using the Pew Bible on the rack in front of you. If you brought a Bible with you, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. We have been in the Gospel of Matthew all year. We have been in the Sermon on the Mount for most of the spring. And this morning we conclude our study in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm grateful uh, for the sermon that uh, Pastor Jim brought us last week uh, in my absence. We listened to it, uh, my wife and I, uh, on that Sunday afternoon, and were greatly blessed uh, by his exposition and application uh, of the golden rule, just that one verse uh, of chapter 12. Uh, this morning, we're not going to do one verse. We're going to do the rest of the column uh, there in your Bible because it's all uh, sort of Jesus' conclusion. I believe, as uh, Jim uh, so uh, well explained, that chapter, verse 12 is sort of the end of a section that began all the way back in chapter 5. And so we are at Jesus' conclusion, and the conclusion of his sermon is pressing for a response. So you have sat and listened to the Sermon on the Mount for 12 weeks. And this morning you hear how Jesus is calling you to respond. Matthew chapter 7 Beginning at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you go with me again in prayer? Lord, with sober hearts, we come to the text this morning. 
We come as we always do, O Lord, and we ask that you would give us insight. Teach us what your word has for us this morning. But just as much as we need insight into your word, O God, we need insight into our very own hearts. We pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see and see deeply within, and that we would take this moment, these few moments this morning, O God, and we would look within. We would look with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of Scripture. And, O God, that you would reveal to us, you would show us what we really believe, that every one of us would leave this place resting firmly on the rock that is Jesus In his name, we ask all of these things. Amen. Years ago, the author, C.S. Lewis, made famous an old question about who Jesus is. And he asked the question of, who is this Jesus? And he proposed there's really only three answers for who Jesus can be. He can either be a lunatic, that means he could be a crazy person, He can be a liar, someone who has come to deceive us all, or he can be a Lord. Jesus makes lots of claims in his life, doesn't he? He claims that he's God. He claims that he's the Son of God. He claims that he can save anyone who comes to him in faith. If one of you walked into my office this past week and said those same things to me, I would think, you're crazy. (laughs) You're a lunatic. And so we need to look at the claims of Jesus. Is this man a lunatic? Is he crazy or are his claims true? Well, if they're true, we need to ask a second question. Is he lying to us about who he actually is? Does he make good claims? He's not crazy, but it turns out he's just a liar. He's just come to deceive us all. He doesn't believe anything he says, but he tricks all of us into believing him. Is he a liar? We need to examine his words and ask that same question. Well, if he's not a lunatic, is he a liar? But if he's not either one, his claims are true and he's speaking them honestly to us, then what does that leave us with? It leaves us with only one option, that he must be Lord. The claims must be true. They must be fulfilled in him. He must be who he actually says he is. And if he is a Lord, then he demands everything of who we are to follow him. You see, if he's a liar and a lunatic, who cares what he says? Who cares what I say? Who cares what the word says this morning? You can just write it off. You can just go to sleep. You can just ignore all of it today. But if he's not those things, and if he's Lord, you better pay attention to what he says. There's no no middle ground here. He either is or isn't who he says he is. And this morning, we're going to believe together that he is Lord. And we're going to see what that demands of us. I want to show you in these verses that the claims of Jesus demand that we respond with all of who we are. We're going to see a number of illustrations, a number of metaphors. They all paint the same picture for us. Jesus is sending a wrecking ball to hypocritical faith. He is shattering any Christianity that is merely external, and he is going, as he has for 12 weeks, straight for our hearts. And he's going to show us that in every part of our lives, we acknowledge and we follow him as Lord. The image he uses for this is the image of two ways or two paths or two roads. 
We're going to follow that image through a a couple of other metaphors. And we're going to look at, quite frankly, what road you're on. What road we are walking on. What road we are traveling on. But before we get to the road, we have to get to the gate. The gate is the way, the entrance to the road. And so I want to show you just two ideas this morning. The first is that we are called, every one of us, to enter by the narrow gate. But then once we enter by that gate, we are susceptible to the allure or the temptation of the ease of the other gate, of the other path, of the other way. So we're going to see we enter by the narrow gate, number one, but then number two, we need to beware of the allure of the wide gate, the temptation of the wide gate, the ease of the other path. So how does Jesus begin? Verses 13 and 14, our first points, enter by the narrow gate. Here's the first word of his conclusion, and it's a command, enter. He is telling every one of us to enter. That word means exactly what you think it means. It means to go in. It is not sort of the enter and exit sign on the door. It's not telling us about someplace. It's a command to us to enter through the narrow gate. And we're just going to go ahead and say what that narrow gate is here at the beginning. The narrow gate is Jesus. Jesus is using a metaphor here to describe himself, that Jesus is the entrance into the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the entrance into everlasting life. He says later on in his ministry, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that there's no other gate. He is the the one and only gate by which sinners come to a holy God in heaven. He says in John chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. The image there is, is the, the shepherd over the gate of the sheepfold. And Jesus is showing us and telling us that to enter into the place of the people of God, to enter into the presence of God and the kingdom of God is to enter through him. Now go back with me to the metaphor. What is the first thing Jesus tells us about himself as a gate? That it's narrow. That he is narrow. Right? Kind of got to turn sideways. Right? And as you age, you can't quite fit through that gate you used to could. Right? This is the narrow gate through which we have to lay everything down to enter. Jesus is showing us that he is the only way to God. He is showing us that he is the only entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The image isn't really that you are given a choice this morning between a wide gate and a narrow gate. The the idea Jesus is painting is that we're all sort of walking on the easy path. We're all sort of mindlessly going through the wide gate. And Jesus is stopping us in our tracks this very morning, and he's pointing us to another gate on the side of the road. And it's a small gate, and it's a tight gate, and it's a narrow gate. But we must leave the easy path. The only way off the easy path is through the narrow gate that is Christ. Now, the idea of a narrow gate brings to mind the accusation that Christians are narrow-minded, right? Or this idea that we're some sort of uh, bigots, 
Because we say there's only uh, one way to God. Why can't we just be more inclusive, more loving? Why can't we just acknowledge all of these other sort of wonderful gates that are out there? Well, the answer is right here because Jesus says he is the narrow gate. But is it really narrow-minded to point dying sinners to the only way that they might be saved? If you are at the doctor and you receive a diagnosis of a life-ending disease and you are crushed and your doctor says, but there's good news, there's one medicine that will save you. Would you say, man, my doctor's a bigot. (laughs) Why won't he give me 10 different options for what about how I'm already living, right? Nobody would complain about the one life-saving medicine offered to dying people. And so we come and we see the grace of our Lord. We see the mercy that there's even a gate at all. Because the Bible tells us that from the fall in the Garden of Eden, from the sin that we have inherited and the sin that we have displayed in our very own lives, there should be no other gate. We have chosen our path. But for the mercy of God, no way would ever be open to us. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, Hear that Jesus has opened a gate. It may be narrow, but it is wide enough for you. It is wide enough for every one of you to enter by faith. Jesus puts before us the narrow gate of life, the gate of himself. Then he goes on to tell us a little bit more about this gate, really about this path through which we travel, the narrow gate. What's the path like on the other side? What is Jesus' description of the Christian life once we've entered in through him, through the narrow gate? Well, it sounds great. It's really hard and not many people are doing it. So come on. The way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. It is hard. We have but to look at the life of Jesus. And we can see why his way is hard. (laughs) Because we follow his footsteps. We see the tribulation and the suffering and the persecution of our Savior. And so we are not surprised that those very same things mark his way. It's a way of sacrifice. It's a way of self-denial. It's a way full of temptations and trials and tribulations. But it is the path of our Savior. And why is it so unpopulated? Well, it's for those very reasons we just said. Because it looks hard. Because it is difficult. Because it is full of that which we don't want in our lives. It is unwelcome, the suffering and sorrow of the narrow way. And Jesus says that those who follow it are few. Twice he says in these images that there are few people on that way, on that path, that travel through that gate. But he gives us the best news of all in this verse. And that is that the hard, narrow, unpopular path, where does it lead? It leads to life. It leads to everlasting life. It leads to the beauty and the glory and the peace and the joy and the rapture of life with Christ forevermore. And it's not just the end of the narrow way. When Christ returns, that all of a sudden life gets better. But the promise of the narrow path, the hard way, is that Jesus is there with us. 
It may be unpopular. There may be few people on it. But one of the people on the path with us is our Lord. So life begins not at the end of the path. Life begins when we enter the gate of Jesus. And he is with us and he is bringing us along unto his return and to life everlasting. What's the opposite of life? Jesus tells us the easy path leads to destruction. That's the first of a number of images that he will use to describe the end of life without him. Destruction. Later he will use the image of fire. Then he will use the image of denied entrance into his kingdom. And then he will use the image of a great fall into the flood of judgment. The way is narrow. The people on it are few, but it leads to everlasting life. And how do you enter that gate? It is ever so simple. You believe in Jesus. You come to Christ in faith. You trust him entirely. You leave all of the worldly stuff behind. And you look to him and his blood alone to cleanse you. His righteousness alone to stand before you, before God in heaven. And you will find that the gate is wide enough for you. Enter, as Jesus says, enter this very morning the narrow gate. Believe upon him and you will be saved. It is the simplest of messages on the lips of our Lord. It involves no extra work, no extra effort. It is simply faith and trusting in Christ. But a sermon's not yet done, is it? Because he declares to us in these two verses that we are saved by faith alone. Then he goes along to tell us in the remaining verses that the faith that saves us is never alone. Because he will go on to describe what characterizes the changed Christian life as we follow that path. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning with these warnings. Really verse 15 down to verse 27 are a series of warnings. And the warnings are summarized as this. Beware of the allure of the wide gate. You have entered the narrow gate. And now you're going to look at that wide path and man, it looks good. (laughs) I want to go back there. I want to go where it's easy. I want to go where it's wide. I want to go where everybody else is. And Jesus tells us to beware of the appeal of the wide gate. We're going to see three warnings in the remainder of our passage. Uh, These warnings have a pattern. Jesus shows us two things that look the same. Two bushes that look the same. Two claims to enter the kingdom that look the same. Two houses that look the same to our untrained eyes. And then Jesus is going to give us the criteria to tell those two different things apart and to be warned about one of them. And then he's going to pronounce destruction on the counterfeit, the counterfeit house, the counterfeit claim, the counterfeit bush. Jesus is teaching you how to spot a counterfeit. Some of you have worked in retail and you have learned from your boss how to spot a counterfeit bill. You know what to look for. You know those telltale signs of what counterfeit money looks like. Well, here is the signs that Jesus gives us to beware of. There's three of them. Number one, Verses 15 to 20, beware of false prophets. Verses 15 to 20, beware of false prophets. He jumps right in. Who are we supposed to beware of? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
Now let's get past sort of the comedy of this, right? The idea of a wolf putting on a sheepskin to fool the sheep seems kind of unrealistic, right? And it seems yeah, they would spot that a mile away. And sometimes we think that, right? We think, I would spot a false prophet a mile away. Not so fast, Jesus tells us. You see, these wolves are experts at disguise. They are experts at sneaking in to the sheep, sheepfold unnoticed. They're hard to spot. And how does he describe them? He says they're ravenous. They are vicious. They are destructive. They want to kill and destroy the sheep. So how do you know, dear Christian? How do you, how do you know if the prophets who speak to you claiming to speak with the authority of God are actually good shepherds or if they are ravenous wolves? To answer that, Jesus switches metaphors and he gives us the metaphor of fruit. He tells us of two different types of bushes or two different types of trees and what kind of fruit do they yield. And he gives us this sort of obvious answer. Well, a diseased tree won't bear good fruit and a good tree won't bear diseased fruit. You don't have to be a farmer to know the truth to that. Grapes don't come from thorn bushes and figs don't come from thistles. He says in verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruit. So your Lord is telling you that he sends under shepherds to care for your souls. And in the midst of that come disguised wolves who aim to destroy you. And here's how you tell them apart. By their fruit, by the effects of their ministry, by what is produced by their teaching, what is produced by their preaching, what bears fruit from their prophetic ministry. Now, here's the hard part. Fruit does not come all at once, does it? It takes time for fruit to be born. Uh, Just yesterday, I was on the back porch and we planted some strawberry little roots last year. And I don't think any of them took, but we were looking out the window where we planted them and there are a lot of green leaves. And I said to my wife, do you think any of those are strawberries? She says, I don't think so. (laughs) I think they're just weeds. Only time will tell. Some of you are gardeners, you can tell, but only time will tell in our house. (laughs) Will strawberries actually come from those weeds? Of course they won't. Time will tell in the ministry, ministry of a false prophet. And Jesus is telling you, brother and sister in Christ, to be wise, to be discerning, to be diligent, to be something, quite honestly, that I think is very difficult for Christians, and that's to not be so gullible. When somebody says the name of God or somebody quotes scripture, give it a minute. (laughs) Give it some time. See what effect is produced by their teaching. No one is going to show up at this pulpit with the banner of a false prophet, right? No one's going to pop up on your Facebook feed this week with the banner of this is a false prophet. Beware. Right? No one's going to show up on that news channel you're watching and they're referencing sort of veiled Christian language and announce, oh, by the way, I'm a false prophet, right? You have streams of news and information and preaching and prophecy flowing into your life. I'm not going to see you all again for another, well, if you come tonight, I'll see you tonight, but I won't see you again for another seven weeks. I don't know how many other false prophets are coming in between your ears and are trying to take root in your heart. 
Jesus gives a sobering warning. That first word, beware. Be wary. Take time. Judge by its fruit. Ask some questions. Come to your elders. Discern. Because look what happens to the false prophets. Look at what path they're leading us down to. At the end of verse 19, they will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Cut down and thrown into the fire. And I take no joy in saying this, but so will everybody who follows their path to destruction. You enter by the narrow gates. Beware of the allure of the wide gate. Beware of those false prophets who would tickle your ears and lead you down the road to destruction. That's just the first danger. That's not enough. That's just the first danger on the narrow path. The second threat that Jesus gives us to beware of is verses 21 to 23. Beware of faulty claims. Here's the picture. A bunch of people trying to enter the kingdom of heaven, and they are sort of showing their ticket, as it were. But they are making claims as to why they should be granted entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And some are granted entrance, and some aren't. And the ones who aren't granted entrance surprise us. Because they say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, and they do lots of wonderful things. And Jesus says, maybe the scariest verse in the entire Bible... I never knew you. Depart from me. How can you call Jesus Lord, do all this stuff in his name, and then he says to us, he never knew us? How can that happen? Think about it like this. I wonder if any of you have a friend who you get together with sort of regularly to catch up, but your friend does all the talking. Some of you, you know that friend, right? You get together for coffee and you you spend an hour together and she just talks the whole time about herself and her problems and her family and her job and her life. She never asks you a single question. And at the end she says, we didn't talk about you. We'll do that next week. Well, next week rolls around. Same thing happens, right? She just talks and talks and the bill comes. And she says, oh no. And she's picking up her purse to leave. What's going on in your life? Well, you're not going to open up right that. And this pattern just goes on. It goes on. And then one day something actually does happen in your life and you don't call her. She finds out about it and she calls you and she says, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you tell me? What do you think to yourself? I don't know you. You don't know me. You never asked me a single question in your life. You don't know a thing about me. I'm like your hobby. I'm like your listening post. Here's what Jesus is telling us. That these false prophets and possibly these false Christians, if we can use that phrase, are acting and living as if they know God, but their lives have nothing to do with God at all. It's all a shell. It's all a mask. It's all hypocrisy. It's all about them. They stand and pray out loud in the streets. They fast and they make themselves look even worse when they fast. They give by blowing trumpets. It's all about them. Let me tell you something about these people. They look really good. Who are the people that Jesus may say on the last day, I never knew you? Well, they're pretty good with their theology because they call Jesus Lord. They call him Lord, Lord. So they may actually be pretty good theologians. They may be experts on theological topics that you've never even heard of. 
They are described uh, in the next verse down as those who do three things. They prophesy, they cast out demons, and they do mighty works in Jesus' name. You know who does this in the New Testament? It's the disciples. This is like the job description of the disciples. But we know that there's at least one disciple that Jesus doesn't know. Do you know the direction of the knowledge here? It's not, do you know Jesus? God, does Jesus know you? Because Jesus knows his own, and he calls us by name, and his sheep hear his voice. It's not about stuff you do. It's not about good theology. Following Christ is not being the best sort of theologian in the room. It means becoming like Christ. What happens? What is their claim? Look, Look at verse 22. Look what they claim, the ticket that they want to give Jesus to get into his kingdom is what they've done. What they have said. Their own actions. Look at what we did. And how does Jesus describe all of these righteous actions that they are claiming to bring to get into his kingdom? He calls them works of lawlessness. We could translate that works, translate that works of evil. They are workers of lawlessness. They look like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. They're keeping God's law, but they're not. They're mere hypocrites. They're claiming the name of God, and they're doing whatever their own heart desires. And when Jesus says to those people, I never knew you, they won't be confused. They'll realize they've finally been caught. They'll realize that while none of us can see right through them, Jesus sees right through us. The masks that we wear are nothing to him. The works that we pile up to look good in front of our fellow church members' eyes, he sees right through it. So the question this morning is, does this describe you? Does it describe me? How do we know? The final verses of Jesus give us a clue. And that's the final mark of counterfeit faith to be aware of. Verse 24 to 27. And that's foolish responses. Here we begin to see our answer. Beware of foolish responses. Jesus gives us a picture of a fool and a picture of a wise man. You know this illustration. Uh, This is a famous illustration I shared with some of you that image that maybe you saw in the news this week of a, a, church, uh, a church, a house at the Outer Banks uh, that finally collapsed right in the sand and the water was coming in and the house collapsed and just washes out to sea. It's sort of a terrifying, kind of a comical and, uh, image and so many Christians pointed straight to this verse from that little video. But here Jesus tells us not as much about two houses as he, much as he does about two builders, two different types of builders. One builder builds on the sand, the other digs down to the rock. Which one's the wide way, which one's the narrow way, right? And maybe the guy at the beach has built his house very quickly on the sand, and he's on his front porch, enjoying a lemonade, looking at his neighbor. Why are you still digging through the sand? What's wrong with you? Just build your house on top. Days go by, weeks go by, years go by, maybe, and the houses look the same until the day of testing. Now, what is the test? It's not the sunny day. The test is the flood. The rains came down, 
The floods came up, the winds blew and beat on the house. And you know how it happens. The house on the rock stands. The house on the sand falls. And Jesus makes sure we don't miss it. That last phrase of verse 27. And great was the fall of it. It's not the houses he's pointing at. It's the builders of the houses. It's the wise and the foolish builders of the houses. And don't get too sucked into the metaphor. Because Jesus explains exactly what it means. What does it mean to be a wise man? It means to hear the words of Jesus and do them. To be a foolish man is to hear the words of Jesus and not do them. That little word does is actually the key to this whole section. It appears in every, in every part. Look, look up at verse 21. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Look up at verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. Same word. Does good fruit. It's just translated there, bear, for the metaphor. And every section is the idea of doing, doing, doing the will of our Father in heaven. What does Jesus warn us about? He warns us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So here we have sort of come to to the rub of the easy path versus the hard path. We know which way we enter by, but what is life like on that path? What does it look like for those walking along that path? It is those who bear the fruit of the Christian life. Or we could say that it is, the, it is the fruit and evidence of a good and lively faith. You see, when the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead, it doesn't mean that we work our way into heaven. Jesus has already told us we enter the gate by faith in him. But those who have entered that narrow gate, who walk on that hard and unpopular path, bear fruit because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We bear the fruit that is the evidence of our faith. And so that Jesus, who sees straight through our hypocritical masks, and we can't see through them, he gives us the key. It is the fruit or evidence in your life. If you are not bearing the fruit of Christian life, you are likely not on the right path. I wonder if some of you are here today and you're sort of a professional listener of God's word. You sort of collect sermons like you collect baseball cards. You could look at and point to all of these great preachers and all of these great ministries and all this stuff you know, but it's nothing more than a hobby to you. That the greatest deficiency in your life is the wall between your head and your heart. And so there's all this stuff. There's all these masks. But Jesus tells us when the flood comes, when the day of trial comes, you may well look like a Christian, but the fall will be great. What Jesus is exposing is the hypocritical faith versus the genuine faith. Is it a shell? Is it a mask that you wear? And when he ends, his hearers are amazed at this. They're astonished at the whole sermon. Of course, this last sort of press that Jesus puts on them. And they're they're astonished at Jesus' teaching because he taught with authority. Because he's not a liar. And he's not a lunatic. But he must be then the Lord. And then it ends, right? 
We don't know what the, the hearers do. We don't know where they go. We know that some follow. We know that, that many don't because the way is narrow and those who walk it are few. The Sermon on the Mount ends not a narrative about their response. It ends with a question about your response. Jesus would ask you this morning, what path are you on? Are you on the wide path? Is it crowded? Is it full of approval? Is it just easy to walk on? Are your words empty? Are your good deeds really just lawless? Is your foundation shallow? If that's you, you need to hear this morning that he does not know you. And your house will fall. Leave that path. Leave it today. The narrow gate is wide open to you. Come to Christ. His way may be narrow, but he will never, ever cast you out. Enter the narrow gate. There's others of you, and I pray this morning, many of you, who are on the narrow path. And you have found it to be hard. And maybe this room feels full this morning, but there are some pretty lonely times in your life. Where it feels that there's very few people on it. And as your pastor, I would beg of you to press on. Press on. Keep going on that hard path. Plug your ears to the allure of the narrow way. You are beat down and frail and feeble as dust, but you will bear good fruit. You are doing his will. Your house, he assures us will stand, not because you're so strong, because the rock upon which you have built your house will never fail. Take refuge in Christ. Stay the course. For he knows your name. And you are on the path of life. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, these are harrowing words today. And I pray that you would shake every one of us to hear them with all seriousness and all sobriety. That we would look deep within our hearts, we would look at our words and our actions, and we would see if we are indeed bearing the fruit of the Spirit in keeping with the life of the narrow path. And, O God, for those here this morning who remain on the wide and easy path, we pray that you would burden their hearts. We pray that you would convict their souls. They would look and believe upon Jesus and enter that very gate this very moment. Draw their hearts, O God, unto you that they might be saved. And strengthen, O Lord, those of us on the narrow path. Give us encouragement in the faith. May we look around and realize that though we may be few, we have Christ. And we have his church. And we have his people. And the stumbles are not anything that he didn't stumble on. And the temptations are not anything that he didn't face. And that he is with us and he is our strength. He gives us life even this very day and leads us to life everlasting. We praise you, O God, and ask that you would work in our very hearts this day to produce faith in keeping with repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.